0: Um, as Zach said, I'm Pastor Zach. Um, it's hard because I'm ZH and he's also ZH, so we just have a ZH party. Hey, if you would, on the count of three, will you tell me your name? One, two, three. Nice to meet you guys. Um, so excited to to be hanging out here with you. Um, you know, Zach has become a, a good friend, and um, through him, I was able to eat uh, to eat. To, that's weird. Um, to meet your pastor. And uh, Pastor Rob's become a good friend as well, enjoy hanging out with him, and uh, he's been such a, a blessing to, uh, to me and my wife. And um, this is my wife, her name's Jade, sitting out over here in the second row, and uh, she's going to probably punch me later. Um, are you clapping for me? Thank you so much, I am so lucky that I'm married to her. Um, hey, if you would, um, open up to the book of Ephesians here today, and uh, cool, you guys can hear me good? We good? All right. Ephesians is where we're going to be, the second chapter of Ephesians. And uh, before we, we get going um, into a message that I've titled, From Death to Life, um, it's the title of the message here this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I just I want to give you just kind of a brief rundown of me, all right, just so you know who it is. That's up here teaching. Uh, so, um, like Zach said, I actually uh, was raised in Ukaipa uh, right at the bottom of thirty-eight and uh, was raised um, by Christian parents, and uh, was actually, our family was a part of planting um, the church that I pastor at down there called Wildwood Calvary Chapel. And uh, if you've ever driven down in Ukaipa, down Oak Glen Road, where the big building on the left by Rite Aid, um, that looks like Noah's Ark. Um, So that's our church. And uh, I had the privilege of being the high school pastor there uh, for just about six years. And um, it's an awesome church, really awesome ministry. And, uh, and at the close of that ministry in 2018, um, I had just, re- in 2017, I really kind of felt God calling me back to Big Bear. So I um, moved here in 2008. I was 19 years old, and I was a snowmaker at Snow Summit for a couple of years, and uh, kind of did the snowboard kind of party life, and I was running away from Jesus, and um, I was one of those long-haired snowboard bums that you guys see running all around Big Bear, and um, if I did anything to offend you, my apologies for all of us. Um, And I know I'm a little clean cut right now. It's a little weird. Um, I got married to my wife a year ago, just a little over a year ago. And uh, yeah, my hair was like down to here when we got married and something's changed, I guess, since then. But, um, you know, so God saved me um, at 22. And so after three winters here, um, God saved me from a radical, just radically saved me from a life of drugs and alcohol addiction and Ended up going to a Christian rehabilitation program called U-Turn for Christ. And um, I was there for eight months and um, just fell in love with the Lord and uh, ended up going back to Ukaipa which is the last place I wanted to be. Um, I'm a snowboarder, I'm a surfer, and you can't do either of those things in Yucaipa. Um But God called me back to Ukaipa for six years and they were an awesome, awesome six years. And uh, my pastor, who I've known since I was nine years old, uh, really took a shot on a kid who was 10 months sober and who was absolutely radically in love with Jesus. And um, he gave me a shot to, to come on as an intern at our church and I'm so thankful. And um, I've just never really looked back and um, really felt called back to this place. And in 2017, uh, my then fiance, now wife, uh, we started a home Bible study up here in November of 2017. And I think there was like eight people Four of them were friends from down the hill, and uh, and we uh, we met in someone's living room, and for the last almost two years now, we've had, um, you know, it kind of started off as a little Bible study in our house, and now it's really just kind of turned into home church. Um, you know, we have probably about 30, 40 people that come to our house every week, and um, I know what you're thinking, you must have a big house. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, we have a thousand foot, a thousand square foot house that we put, you know, 30, 40 people in, and um, it's just rad, it's, we meet on Tuesday nights and it's really been able to meet such a cool need here in the valley. So many of the people that come are on the younger side and they, they work at the mountain or they work on the marinas you know, in the summer and so they can't really go to church on Sundays. And so Tuesday has become such a cool little home church kind of vibe. And, and um, with that as we've been seeking the Lord, um, we feel like God is calling us to, to plant a church here in the valley. And um, so this winter we're actually going to be um, launching a Saturday night service. Um, our heart really is to not compete with or try and get in the way of awesome churches like this one that are meeting on Sundays. There's already so many good churches meeting on Sundays. So we want to meet on Saturday nights, again, to meet that need of people who can't go to church on Sunday because they work in the service industry. And um, so we're going to be, we're basically planting a wildwood up here. We're going to be called Wildwood Big Bear. So invite you to pray with us and pray for us and uh, we're looking for a venue here in the valley. We're going to be doing kind of the portable church thing, rolling up in a trailer and all that, and um, just very, very, very excited just for this season. And um, it's been an awesome time of just teaching and ministering to the group that meets in our house. But um, I, first and foremost, God has just really put like an evangelistic heart in me, um, and I've been not really doing too much evangelism in the preaching sense. You know, kind of doing the friendship lifestyle evangelism, but. Um, you know, I I'd love to preach the gospel, and the thing that's hard about doing a home church is not a lot of unbelievers are like, yeah, I'm down to go to some Bible study at some pastor's house, you know? Um, so I'm very excited just to, to get out into a place that can facilitate, um, you know, more people and preach the gospel, and, and my belief, all right, my belief is that God loves this valley and wants to reach those that are lost in this valley, amen? All right, and here's the thing is I just I look back at my experience. Again, I was running from God, was raised in a Christian home by parents who love the Lord, even though they're Raider fans, that's a different story. <laughs> but I was raised to know the truth yet I ran from the truth. And it, it I constantly have this thought up here. How many people in this valley are doing the same thing? All right? we look at those that, that don't go to church and we think, oh, they, they just don't know. Some, so many of them do, but there's just this this wall of pride that needs to be broken down. And you know what? God broke that down in me. God saved me radically. And I believe he wants to do it to the people in this valley as well. It's going to be awesome. And uh, so, yeah, enjoy. And you know, uh, again, just to invite you to, to pray with us and pray for us um, in the planting of Wildwood Big Bear. And that's why, again, I'm just so thankful for your pastor, even giving me the opportunity to, to come and preach and get to know you guys a little bit. And, He's become um, just such a a sweet man of God in my life. so thankful for him. So um, Ephesians chapter 2 is where you should be. If you're there, say I'm there. All right. And let's pray together before we get into this message from death to life. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity this morning to worship you, to gather together as the body of Christ. And uh, Lord, thank you for the privilege of allowing my wife and I to be here um, enjoying fellowshipping with the Journey Church. And Lord, we just pray a blessing over this time of reading and considering and studying the scriptures. God, I pray that you would comfort us with your words. I pray that you would uh, convict us with your words. Lord, I pray that you would confront us with your words if that's what we need. Lord, I pray um, that you would drive your word home like a master carpenter drives home a nail. That you would drive it into our hearts here this morning. Lord, I pray for the ability to preach and to teach in a way that's honoring to your word and honoring to your name. God, we love you and we commit today to you. It is in your holy and your precious name that we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you would, look at your neighbor and say, from death. Now look at the neighbor that you just ignored and say, to life. All right, from death. See, now everyone in the room knows who they really care about. Okay, so you go to first. I've come to realize something lately. I've come to realize that we all have a ton in common, all right? I I know that you might think that you differ a lot from the person maybe sitting next to you, but I guarantee you that there's actually quite a few similarities that you have with each other. I started to think about this. Um, Here's the reality, we're all weird. (laughs) Do you know that you're weird? You are super weird. I, I wrote down a little list of some weird things that we all do, okay? I wanna ask you, are you down to be honest in church? If you can't be honest in church, good luck, okay? So if if you do any of these things, I want you to raise your hand. And here's the thing. I want you to raise it kind of unashamedly. Raise it loud and proud. Wave your freak flag, okay? How many of you guys just randomly for no reason start talking in an accent? Thank you so much. All right. How many of you guys, how many of you guys are terrible spellers, and so you actually have to come up with little tricks for spelling words? Okay. So so here's what I'm talking about. Like Wednesday, Wednesday. day. Where are my wednesday people at? Yeah, okay. I bet you do the same thing with February, right? February, or answer and swer. Alright, you're weird. Someone in here is like, you can do that? It's a pro tip for you. How many of you guys, this one's my favorite, how many of you guys, when you put something in the microwave, put the time on there, you know, minute 15, and then you know that you now have a minute and 14 seconds to go get as many things as you possibly can done to then come back with one second left? Where are you people at? Okay, now, keep your hands up, please, keep your hands up. Now, how many of you pretend that when you get back with one second left that you're diffusing a bomb? very fun all right this one this one's pretty entertaining as well how many of you guys when you shower that's not the thing okay <laughs> you're normal if you shower how many of you guys when you shower them you get kind of bored you get bored in the shower so you got to come up with all the young people that's what's up <laughs> so here's what's up okay? when you shower you get bored so you got to find ways to entertain yourself one of my favorite ways to entertain myself in the shower is I'll stand there You know shower shower heads behind me facing this way is i'll take this arm and i'll like just crease it up again like press it up against my my body and then use this arm and do the same thing some of you guys know where i'm going with this (laughs) and you lean back so the water hits you in the neck and you kind of just like make this like big old pool you know (laughs) and you're like dude big bear lake has nothing on my lake right now you know like you just like fill it up with water i don't know why it's just so entertaining you know and then But you know, if you do this, you know what you do at the end because you can't just like let your arms go. That's anticlimactic and it just—it's boring. So what you do is you're like leaning, and in one fell swoop, you just go, (laughs) and there's just the most satisfying loud crash on the floor of the bathtub. How many of you guys do it? How many of you guys do it? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are going to try to do it? Thank you so much. When I, when I met my wife, when I met my wife, she was like, that is the most ridiculous thing ever. And now, every so often, I'll just hear a crash in the bathtub. And I'll be sitting on the couch in the living room, and victorious, I just raise my hands. It's just, it's just a moment for me and Jesus. It's awesome. Now, I know that these things are dumb, but they're weird. And so many of us are weird. We have so much in common. But the, I, I would submit to you that the biggest thing that we have in common is that we actually all collectively, as human beings, as the the human race that God created in his image, the main problem that we face is we all face spiritual death. Listen to the way that Paul says this at the beginning of the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. He says this in verse one. He says, and you he made alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. Paul is talking about this issue that plagues every single person that is a part of the human race. We are faced with spiritual death. Now, Paul was not the originator of this idea, this concept of spiritual death. He's actually borrowing from what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from what? From death into life. Look at your neighbor and say, the title makes sense now. (laughs) Paul ripped off Jesus, so I'm going to rip off Jesus. All right, this is is Jesus' metaphor that when we step into a relationship with him, when we are saved, we're literally stepping from spiritual death into spiritual life right And so Paul here in this chapter in the first 10 verses specifically he's going to tell us some things about the state of being spiritually dead he's going to tell us some things that went into God making us spiritually alive that's going to be the the flight path that we're kind of going on today all right that's our trajectory for the rest of our time together is we want to unpack the the Holy Spirit inspired words of Paul In the first 10 verses here, in an effort to kind of get our minds wrapped around this whole idea of being brought from death into life. So if you're down, say I'm down. If your neighbor didn't say anything, look at him and be like, what's up, bro? (laughs) After you've judged your neighbor, let's look at the first thing that we're going to break our text down into. There's basically... Uh, kind of a passage breakdown. There's three elements to this text, right? The first one that we're going to look at is the predicament. Can you say that with me? The predicament, all right? A predicament is defined as a difficult, unpleasant, or an embarrassing situation, all right? Um, And we're talking about something pretty dire in this situation, right? This is a a very serious predicament for we are faced with spiritual death. That is our natural state for we are rebellious against God. Let's look at the predicament in verses one through three. And I'm reading through the new King James here this morning. Maybe you're reading a different translation. There might be a few differences as we go. We'll talk about why that is as we go. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, Paul says this, he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of what? Wrath, he says, just as the others. Now in this passage, these first three verses specifically, Paul tells us quite a bit about the state of being spiritually dead, right? It's the problem that we're all faced with. It's something that we're all inherently dealt just in our very nature and being rebellious against God. But let's see and unpack what it is that Paul just said in an effort to kind of get our minds wrapped around this idea of being spiritually dead. For Paul gave us four kind of descriptive qualities of the state of being spiritually dead. Here's what we'll want to note. These will be on the screen for you as well, all right? And I encourage you to take notes. Uh, number one is completely beneficial for you. Maybe God speaks something to you today. Maybe God's gonna and in- tuck something into your heart that He wants to speak to you months from now and you're not gonna be able to refer back to it if you didn't write it down. So number one it's super practical. Number two, you gotta show your notes to get to heaven. So um <laughs> That's in the book of Second Californians. So um <laughs> Thank you for my dumb Bible, laughing at my dumb Bible college jokes. I appreciate that. Uh, The first thing that we want to know about the state of being spiritually dead is number one, it is a voluntary state. I hope you'll write that down this morning. That is in verse two. It is a voluntary state. And as you finish writing that down, look back at verse two with me. For Paul says in verse two, he says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, right? We were made alive. And he says in verse two, in which you once walked. That's the key phrase. That's the key word. For this word walked is the very typical Greek word peripateo. You guys want to learn a Greek word with me? Say peri. peri. Peripa. Peripa. <laughs> you guys look really funny saying that. Yeah. Peripate. Peripate. Peripateo. Peripateo. Okay. peripateo. peripateo. It's a very common word. It literally just means to walk. Paul uses it in a negative connotation in verse one. He uses it in a positive connotation in verse 10. But here's what you got to understand. Walking involves the volition, right? Walking involves our will, right? Walking in itself requires a decision to do, right? And so Paul is saying, while we are spiritually dead, if we remain spiritually dead, that is the choice that we are making remaining spiritually dead it's a voluntary thing that we're doing so being spiritually dead is a voluntary state because we are not forced to remain in that state right that's ultimately why jesus came down from heaven he became one of us to save all of us right to give every single one of us the opportunity to respond to him to be brought from spiritual death into spiritual life so number one it's a voluntary state number two Second thing we want to note about the state of being spiritually dead is it's a common state. Number one, it's a voluntary state. Number two, it is a common state. And as you finish writing that down, look at verse two with me once again. As Paul says, in which you once walked. Then he says, according to the course of this, what? This world. So in Paul's mind, and I bet in your experience, you would assert the same thing it is more common in this world to not walk with Jesus, right? Is that true? In your your world, in your context, in your job, the school that you go to, do you know more Christians or more unsaved people? I know way more people that don't know Jesus. Jesus talked about this actually in Matthew chapter seven. I believe it's in verses 13 and 14. Jesus said there's two ways. There's a narrow way, there's a broad way. The narrow way leads to life. The broad way leads to destruction. Jesus said, there are few who find this way. There are many who find this way, right? So, I mean, here's what we got to understand is as Christians, we're the minority, right? I mean, mean, that's the reality. You know, I've heard different numbers. I've heard something like, you know, 12,000 people in this valley, something along those lines, right? Maybe if we're being very generous, maybe 1,000 people go to church between Calvary and community and the journey and Christian Faith Center and the Believer's Chapel, right? And all these different places, maybe a thousand that go to church. How many does that leave? A lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10 that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send the laborers out to go work that harvest and to reap right, and to see people brought into the kingdom of God. I mean, here's what we got to understand. Being spiritually alive or the minority. And and, and I, I look at this in my own life, right? I look at this in my own life. Um, you know, I'm a pastor. And so I'm going to be very real with you. It is very easy for me as a pastor to kind of get sucked into my Christian bubble, right? I hang out in my Christian house. I drive my Christian truck. I, I write my Christian emails. I, you know, I listen to my Christian music. I wear my Christian camp t-shirts. I drink milk from Christian cows. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's absolutely ridiculous. I know. But I have to work so hard. I'm, I, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I have to work very hard to make sure that I'm spending time with people who are not believers. I mean, I, you know, again, I surf, I snowboard, I love to rock climb. My wife and I, um, we, we try as hard as we can to make sure that we're able to do those things with people that don't know Jesus. And here's what you got to understand is when I'm hanging out with them, I am so abnormal. I, I, I'm i a little abnormal here too. I get that. Okay, that's not <laughs> the point though. But but like when I'm hanging out with those people that don't know Jesus, I just realize I, I'm just, I'm weird to them. I'm just weird to them. And they're like, dude, they're, there's just something weird about you. And they're kind of they like, they're put off by you, but they're still kind of attracted to you. And you just know you're like, yeah, that's just Jesus in me. You're attracted to Jesus in me. Right, But the reality is, is that it is uncommon in this world to be a believer. It is uncommon, it is unpopular, it is out of vogue, we could say, to be spiritually alive instead of being spiritually dead. It is not only more common, it's also more difficult to be a believer. And that's really what kind of leads into these next two things. Here on this list, again, we're looking at things to note about the state of being spiritually dead. Number one, it's a voluntary state. Number two, it's a common state. Here's the third thing. I hope you write this down. The third thing is that it is a state that is influenced by the devil, right? Now we're kind of talking about, hey, why it's a little easier to be spiritually dead rather than being spiritually alive. Here in, in verse two, Paul says this, he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Come on, church, who are we talking about? Talking about Satan, right? Paul is saying, dude, in spiritual death, you are being influenced. You You are like a marionette whose strings are being pulled by Satan. Jesus told us, his plan is day, John chapter 10, verse 10, what the devil's plan is for us. He came to do three things. Anyone know what they are? To steal, to kill, and destroy. Can came to steal the life that God has for you. came to destroy the calling that God has placed upon your life. He came to destroy and eradicate the joy and the peace that God has planned for you. The peace with heaven, the purpose on earth. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy all three of those things. And just a side note, I love Jesus. He's so gangster. He was like, but I came to give life and life more abundantly. What's up? You know, like, if Jesus was just a gangster. It was dope. But he tells us, he tells us specifically, explicitly what the devil's plan is. And when we're in a state of being spiritually dead, when we're giving ourselves over to our, to our sinful desires, right, our, 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 our flesh, as scripture calls it, we're just being driven to and from, by the devil's plan for our life. We're giving ourselves over to him. Number one, being spiritually dead, it's a voluntary state. It's a common state. It's a state that's influenced by the devil. And here's the fourth thing, and this is really why it's so much easier to be spiritually dead, is number four, it's a state that appeals to the desires of our sinful nature. Being spiritually dead is way easier. Why? because I get what I want, right? I want it, I'm taking it. Look at the way that Paul says this at the end of verse three. He says, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our what? Flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see, Paul is saying that when we are spiritually dead, we are just driven by our appetite. That's all we are, is we want something, and we take something. This is a very important metaphor that Paul is kind of drawing out here, this idea of the flesh and of the Spirit. Scripture is incredibly explicit, and it's completely replete in the New Testament with examples referring to this, right? The Spirit refers to this nature that we're given when we're regenerated, when we're saved, when we're grafted into the family of God. When, when the spirit of God takes up residence in our heart, we now have this new spiritual nature that desires to honor God and to worship God and to serve God. But the thing that's the problem is as humans, we have this intrinsic inherent nature that wants to do the opposite, wants to rebel against God, right? Scripture calls it the flesh, the, the sinful nature that we have. And here's the thing is I was born with it and you were born with it right? Scripture teaches us that in Psalm 51, I think it's in verse 5, it says that in sin we were conceived. In our mother's womb, we were brought forth in iniquity. And I mean, think about your life. Maybe you're a parent. Did anyone have to teach your kid how to lie, steal, cheat? No, they figured out how to be a heathen all on their own, right? (laughs) Because it's an inherent thing that we have. And so we have to understand that, that as Christians, we have two natures. But when you're spiritually dead you only have one nature what is it it's the flesh right so you are giving yourself over to your desire right and so as christians we have to understand this whole bipolar thing totally true of every single one of us there are literally two people inside of me i know who i am outside of jesus i'm a liar i'm a drug addict i'm a thief that is who i am outside of jesus And so I have to fight so hard to make sure that the spiritual nature is winning rather than the fleshly nature, because I know who I am, right? Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.17. He says, walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And then he tells us this. He says, these two are contrary to one another. So not only are there two people in every single one of you, not only are there two natures inside of every single one of us, but those two natures are diametrically opposing each other. They're actually warring against each other. So how much easier is it to just say, you know what, I'm just going to be spiritually dead. I'm just going to let my, my desires rule my life. What I want is just going to happen because I don't have to fight this battle. That's it. Being spiritually dead, it appeals to the desires of our flesh. I often think about C.S. Lewis. Phenomenal fiction writer, nonfiction writer, great man of God, was, um, you know, uh, was converted late in life, coming from an atheistic worldview into a theistic worldview, giving his life to Jesus. He said this famously is one of the, one of my favorite quotes. He said, I never knew how bad I was until I tried to be good. Just, just realize what he's saying there. He's like, yo, before I, and, and C.S. Lewis did say yo, just so you're saying. Yeah. He's like, yo, I, you know, when I was not safe, I, I didn't realize all my problems, And I could look back at my life as a drug addict. I didn't even know how many issues I had. I just knew I needed Jesus. Then I got Jesus, started walking with Jesus, and he started shining light in my life. And I'm like, dang, I suck. (laughs) Like, Like, I am so much worse off than I thought I was. The state of being spiritually dead, Paul tells us four things in verses one through three. Number one, it's a voluntary state. Number two, it's a common state. Number three, it's a state that is influenced by the devil. And number four, it's a state that appeals to the desires of our spiritual nature. Or yeah, of our sinful nature, excuse me. And uh, so that was the predicament, all right? The second aspect of this text, the second kind of uh, aspect of our passage breakdown. Number one was the predicament. Number two, we're going to look at the remedy, all right? Would you look at your neighbor and say the remedy, okay? Uh, You can think of the remedy as uh, the solution, all right? So hey, what's the predicament? Now what's the solution? What's the remedy? How many of you guys, there's two kinds of people in this room right now, okay? Okay. There's those that make a pool of water in their arm. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. There's two kinds of people in this room right now, okay? And and, and the two different types of people kind of center around what you do when you get sick, okay? My wife and I are on the two opposite ends of the spectrum. How many of you guys are like my wife? When you get sick, you just try and plow through. You're like, this sickness will not get me right so you just like plow through you keep working you keep doing the thing here's the thing that's wrong with that game plan is then the sickness just gets prolonged you know what i mean because you're just trying to power through like i applaud you you're way braver than i am but you just try and plow through and then that sickness lingers for days on end right now the other group in here when you get sick you're like where are the sweatpants where's the nyquil like i'm going to bed for like 16 hours we might call that a small coma right but i'm going to wake up and i'm going to feel awesome where are those people at okay amen bring on the coma all right that is the the remedy when i'm sick is i'm like okay i know what needs to happen right there's a predicament there's an issue here's the remedy that's kind of what we're what we're stepping into here in this next passage uh this next section of our passage right paul's gonna give us the remedy look at verse four look at verse four with me honestly the remedies found within the first two words of verse four what are the first two words of verse four church but, who? But God. How simple are those words? And incredibly simple. They're incredibly simple in English, they're incredibly simple in Greek. But God in English, chade theos in Greek, very simple. But they are so profound, so profound. Understand what Paul just did. In one swipe of the pen, writing two words in English, three words in Greek, he just completely turned around the entire tide of this passage. And all he did was he inserted God. That's it. He said, hey, the world, we're spiritually dead. That's who we are. Because we're rebellious against God. And he says, enter God into the situation. And you know what? These two words, I'm just going to share this with me. It's not even in my notes, but I just want to share this with you. This, these are two of my favorite words in all of scripture. You know why? Because every single time they occur, every single time they occur, New Testament, Old Testament, doesn't matter. You know what? You know what happens? Is we see a change in tide just like we It's almost like there's like this low tide kind of a situation, there's dire circumstances, there's some kind of dark hour that's been cast over the the soul of whoever is involved in that story. And then you know what? When God gets thrown into the equation, everything changes and high tide comes in. Think about Joseph, right? The first time that we see these words is in in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Think about all that happened to Joseph, sold into slavery, wrongfully accused of rape, all that stuff, right? raised up to the, you know, the prime minister of Egypt, you know, you can think he was riding in like Air Force Two, you know what I mean? And in Egypt, and then all of a sudden, his brothers come there, his dad passes away, right? And in Genesis chapter 50, all the brothers are convinced that Joseph is going to now enact his revenge on them. And he says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, hey, what the devil meant for evil, he said, he said, well, you guys did for me, the devil meant for evil, but God meant it for good right? I think about Psalm 73, dude named Asaph. He was a worship leader in God's house. You know, typical worship leader in today's fashion, I imagine. You know, skinny jeans, jean jacket, shaved side, long hair. You know what I mean? (laughs) Flannel, whatever. Okay. So imagine Asaph, worship leader in God's house, has a hard time dealing with the fact that God blesses sinners. He's like, God, why aren't you judging sinners? I follow you. My life is so hard. Where's my employee discount? You know, he's like, he's, he's wrestling with this. And he actually says, yo, I'm done. Like, I'm done. And in Psalm 73, verse 26, he says, my flesh and my heart failed. He says, but God was the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen, church, I could go on and on and on with examples for but God and the powerful implications that it has for us in every single passage. Actually, that's some homework for you. You want an awesome study? Go look at every single single instance in the Bible where the words but God show up. The awesome study, but I just feel like that's for someone here today. There's some kind of dark hour that's been cast over your soul. There's difficulty that you're facing. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's financial, maybe it's spiritual. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but there's a predicament that you have. The remedy, the result is inserting God into that situation. God is so much bigger. The God that is for you is bigger than what's against you. Amen? Amen. That was not in my notes, so hopefully that blesses someone. If it didn't bless you, you'll get your money back on the way out. Um, (laughs) Paul says the... The remedy is inserting God into the situation. Let's, let's read verses four down through verse nine together and we'll get a little more context here of what Paul says. Verse four, if you're there with me, Sam, there. All right, here we go. Verse four, he says, but God who is rich in what? Mercy. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Who? With Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Verse six, and he raised us up together and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, wasn't you? Look back at your neighbor and be like, you don't know me. (laughs) <laughs> verse 8 he says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God look at verse 9 he says not of works look back at your neighbor and say see he told you not of works lest anyone should boast and we're going to leave verse 10 to finish off with here in a few moments Amen. Paul tells us the remedy the remedy that God enacted, that God put into place because of our spiritual death as he sent Jesus to bring us, to make us spiritually alive, right? And and, and the, the grammar that Paul uses is very specific. For notice, he said that we were made alive. We did not make ourselves alive. This is a passive voice in Greek. It explicitly says that the action was done by someone to me. It's the difference between Zach hit the ball and Zach was hit by the ball, right? That's the difference. It happened to me. I was made alive by who? By Christ, right? So we want to look at some things to know about being made alive spiritually. Okay, we we looked at some things to note about the state of being spiritually dead, Jesus made us alive spiritually, let's look at some things that Paul tells us about how that happened, all right? Some things to note about the state, or excuse me, about being made alive spiritually. Number one is it is an act of mercy towards us, all right? That's the first thing that we need to know in verse four, all right, is it is an act of mercy towards us. Again, verse four says, but God who is rich in what? Mercy. That's a question for you what is mercy? Mercy, we think of it often as maybe a synonymous term with what word? Anyone anyone guess? Grace, right? We kind of see them appear together. I mean, in this very passage, in this very section of this text, they appear together, right? And so quite often, maybe we're not incredibly biblically literate yet maybe we haven't been following Jesus very long and so maybe we hear grace and we hear mercy and we think of them as synonymous terms they're used interchangeably and and seemingly that's kind of the case but we have to understand that when Paul uses grace when he uses mercy when other biblical authors use grace or mercy they're expressing two very different ideas that kind of wrap up kind of one aspect of God's nature you can think of them as two different sides of the same coin Okay. Here's the best definition for mercy I've ever heard. Okay. And I hope you write this down. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay. Now, here's the definition for grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's two sides of the same coin. Mercy, I'm not getting what I deserve. Grace, I'm getting what I don't deserve. Let me put this into some real world context for you Um, you know i've shared a little bit of my story got into drugs all that stuff that did not happen after i graduated high school that happened at the end of high school for me and um, as you can imagine i was a little punk teenager um i lied to my parents i snuck out of my house all the time and um and i remember one time sneaking out of my parents house and you know partying doing my thing coming back and i thought i covered all my tracks i thought i was very good um, you know, that's what my track record had shown. I climbed on my roof, climbed in my window, got into my room. And this is what I hear. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. You know, <laughs> my mother was sitting in the dark. <laughs> Scariest <laughs> moment of my little 16 year old life. Oh my gosh. Okay. In that moment, in that moment, let me ask you church. In that moment, what did I deserve? What did I deserve? I deserve Punishment. Last time I taught this message, somebody was like death. I was like, I would hate to grow up in your house, right? <laughs> it was gnarly, right? I deserve punishment. I snuck out. I took the car without asking, underage drinking, snuck back into the house, right? I deserve punishment, okay? Mercy, mercy would not get, would be not getting that punishment because I deserve it, right? Some of you are wondering, did your mom show you mercy? Heck no. oh i was grounded you know what my mom was such a savage she took my door she was like privacy is a luxury that you don't have anymore (laughs) i know that sounds trivial and innocuous but oh my gosh parents pro tip you got a little punk teenager take their door (laughs) okay mercy was not getting what what i deserved right in that moment god shows us mercy Being made alive spiritually, it is an act of mercy. Why? Because we deserve spiritual death. We deserve physical death. That's what Romans 6.23 says. It says that the wages or the, the, the outcome of sin is what? Death. I've heard it said that there's a noose that's been tied. There's a firing squad that's been issued. There's an electric chair that's been plugged in, all with my name on it. And guess what? Rightfully so. For I have rebelled against God. I have sinned against God. I have transgressed against the Holy One. And I deserve to be punished for it. Not only in spiritual death here, but in ultimate spiritual death when I die here as well. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. Welcome to church. But God shows us mercy. And that that death is not something that we have to pay. Not only do we not have to fear death here, we don't have to fear death ultimately. For that is an act of mercy towards us. Praise God for that. Here's the second thing. Paul tells us that it's an act of mercy towards us. Number two, he tells us that it is driven by God's great love for us. So God shows us mercy, but that mercy was driven and God was compelled by his great love for us. We see that in verse four. Paul says this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great, what? Love in which he loved us. I have a question for you. What was it that compelled God to show us mercy? What was it? Okay, it was his love. What was it that compelled God to love us that way? For love is a choice, right? This whole I fell out of love thing, no, you decided to stop loving. Okay? So, so I mean let, 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 let's be real here. God decided to love us. I know me. I am not that lovable. Okay? I know how jacked up I am. I live in here, okay? <laughs> I know that in, my, in my, my fleshly sinful nature, the drug addict, alcoholic, lying, stealing, uh, you know, stealing, hippie, homeless dude that I was back in the day, that's who I am outside of Christ. I am not that lovable. But Christ decided to love me. And like Romans 5, 8 says, he demonstrated his great love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So there was this choice that was thrown out there. So so here's my question to you. What compelled God to make that choice? I would submit to you, 1 John 4, 8, tells us that God is something. God is love. What compelled God to love us? Himself. Because that's who he is. He is the personification, the very embodiment of love. And he was compelled by himself to show us mercy and to love us in such a way that we didn't have to die the death that we deserve. Compelled by his very nature. Number one, being made alive spiritually. It's an act of mercy towards us. It's driven by God's great love for us. Number three, this is an important one. Paul tells us this in verse six. Paul says it's closed the gap between us and Christ, excuse me. Being made alive spiritually has closed the gap between us in Christ. Paul says in verse 6, But God made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is referencing this relationship that has been righted. This irreconcilable void between us and God that has been reconciled. This great gulf that has been done away with. For ultimately, that's what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, right? They had communion and fellowship with God. Sin entered into the equation and they were separated from God's presence, ultimately removed from the garden. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 kind of put uh, you know, some good imagery to this. Isaiah writes that it's not that God can't save sin, it's that God will not look upon sin. It says that he removes his face from sin because God is perfect and holy and righteous and we are anything but that. We are sinful and so God is forced to look away from us and to punish that sin that's there. And so ultimately, again, Jesus coming down from heaven on the rescue mission that he was sent on, becoming one of us, dying for us, saving us, we are now brought back into that right relationship with God. That, that irreconcilable void has been reconciled. Here's the image that I always use. It just, it, it hits home for me. Have you ever been FaceTiming somebody? When the FaceTime is there, it's, it's basically the next best, when the connection's there, it's the next best thing to having that person with you. Right? I was just on a missions trip in Romania back in uh, back in July in southeastern Europe. And that was the, the longest I've been away from my wife since we've been married, 10 days. But you know what? Praise God for the fact that it's 2019, I have FaceTime, I can see my wife. Okay, but here's the problem. It's when the connectivity goes, you know, south and it's not good anymore, all of a sudden your wife, your friend is frozen and maybe it's a really bad connection and the, and, and the audio starts going. It sounds like they're like remixing, you know, that whole thing. And you're like, dang, it's gone, right? That connection was lost. Basically, we were on this like divine FaceTime call with God in the garden. Sin was the connectivity issue and Jesus came and righted it. And we have a clear picture now to come back to the Lord, right? And that's what being made alive spiritually has done for us. It brings us back into a place of knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, being known by Him. That's why Psalm 1611 says that in His fullness, there is fullness of joy. Because that's where we were made to be, is in the very presence of God. That's what our soul cries out for. Augustine, great church father, famously said, all souls are restless until they find rest in Him. Because that's where we were made to find our rest in. Amen? Paul says that, we've been, that the gap between us and Christ has been closed. Here's the, the, the fourth thing that we want to know about being made alive spiritually. This is in verse 8. Is It's not something we can do on our own. Something we have to understand. Being made alive spiritually, it is not something that we can do on our own. Look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8, Paul says this. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through what? Faith, and he says, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Understand that you, as well as myself, are totally incapable of doing anything to save ourselves. The image that I often have in my mind is that of rock climbing. And uh, last year, when my wife and I moved up here full time, uh, we had both you know, done some rock climbing in the past, but a lot of our friends, especially a lot of our unsafe friends, as I mentioned earlier, rock climb. And so it's an awesome opportunity for us just to evangelize kind of through lifestyle and just friendships with them and build. You know, my pastor always says ministry flows through relationships, so get to know people. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, we, we were going out with our friends and they got us rock climbing. And my wife um, kind of grew up doing some bouldering, which is... Uh, you know, maybe 20 feet or less. You're not roped in, and you, there's pads that you put on the ground, and 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 that felt safe to her. She doesn't like falling. Heights don't bother her. She doesn't like falling, right? So in her mind, some of the people are people like, Amen. Okay, your wife is a smart woman. Yeah, but here's the thing: is is getting roped up and putting on a harness and all that stuff. It just it scared her because she was like, I don't know if I can trust the the rope. I don't know if I can trust the gear. Can I trust the person belaying me? And so we went out with our friend um, out into Holcomb um, last fall and uh, and we did what's called top roping. So basically the rope went from Jade's harness to the top of the rock and then to her belayer. And so as Jade was climbing, um, you know, she, okay, 10 feet up, 15 feet up, all of a sudden she gets there and she's like, okay, I'm done. I want to come down. And I looked over at my friend Hannah who was belaying her and I was like, nope. And Hannah was like, nope. So Hannah was like, hey, I'm not letting you down. And literally like Hannah is controlling the rope. And so Jade literally could do nothing. She was stuck on the side of that cliff. That's it. I'm happy to report that she like gathered her strength, climbed to the top and was like taking selfies and stuff. It was awesome, right? And now she's the little rock climbing beast. But I just always have that image. When I read this verse, I have that image of my wife stuck on the side of that rock in her harness, incapable of doing anything. She wanted to come down, wasn't going to come down. No matter how much she willed it, wished it, prayed for it, wasn't going to happen. Because Hannah's a little vindictive, okay? <laughs> but it's such a good image for us in our spiritual death. We're stuck on the side of a cliff, incapable of doing anything about it. It was something that Jesus did for us. Again, the grammar is absolutely explicit. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. It says, he who knew no sin, who's that? Jesus, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's this, this, this holy transaction that took place. I deserve death. I deserve punishment. Jesus put on flesh, stepped into the world, took on that death and that punishment upon himself. Yet he lived a perfect and righteous life. And he now says, hey, Father, I want you to look at Zach as if he lived the life that I live. I'm going to take his death. I'm going to take his debt. And now you give him what's in Mike. It's not something I could do. It's not something you could do. It's something that was done for us. That's the thing that sets biblical, evangelical, orthodox Christianity apart from every religion out there in the world. No matter what it is. Every religion out there in the world says, you do, you will earn. This relationship says, you can't earn. Jesus did. Now walk it out. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) <laughs> i'm very simple thank you jesus okay now i just got to go that way and i gotta i don't gotta you, you probably heard it said i'm gonna fight for victory i now fight from victory because jesus did it for me because it was not something i could do on my own here's the fifth thing that we want to note about being made alive spiritually right well we're counting number one it's an act of mercy towards us number two it's driven by god's great love for us Number three, it's closed the gap between us and Christ. Number four, it's not something we can do on our own. Here's the fifth and final thing, right, about being made alive spiritually. It is a gift of grace to us. It is a gift of grace to us. As you write that down, look at verse five with me. There's a little parenthetical statement that Paul writes. He says, by grace, you have been what? Saved. Verses seven through nine also touch on this same idea of a gift of grace. He says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been, what? Saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the, what? Gift of God. Here's what we got to understand, church. God didn't have to. Yet he did. We were talking about mercy and talking about grace earlier. What's the definition of mercy? It is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let's step back into my story from my youth. Snuck into my parents' house. My mom's there in my my room. I've been waiting for you, right? That whole scary moment of my little 16-year-old life. Okay, what did I deserve? Punishment. Mercy. Not getting the punishment that I deserve. What is grace in that situation? Grace is waking up the next morning and my mom being like, hello, my little sleepyhead sinner. <laughs> let's go shopping. I'm going to buy you whatever you want. You want to go surf? I'll drive you down there. Come on, let's go. Let's go to Chipotle. You can have whatever you want. You can even get guacamole, which is $1.95 extra. And that's ridiculous, but you deserve it, you little sinner. Right? You're like, you're like, that's weird, right? I don't deserve any of that. I deserve to be grounded for the next millennium. And here you are trying to give me stuff right? Is that not what God did for us? I said, hey, there's a death that you have to pay. Don't worry about it. God said, I'm going to take it upon myself. That's mercy. And God says, hey, there's a righteousness that you can never earn. There's a life that you can never earn. Salvation that you can never earn. Hey, guess what? I'm going to give that to you. It's great. We have to understand the different aspects of grace and mercy. They work together to bring this glorious message of the gospel to us, right? But there are two very different aspects that God did. We need to praise God for his mercy. We need to thank God and praise God for his grace. Amen? That is a gift that was given to us. And again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 plays that out perfectly for us. Jesus died our death, and we are now righteous because of it. The relationship has been right. We looked at the predicament. We looked at the remedy. There's one last aspect of this text that I want to look at in verse 10. It's the result. Will you say that with me? the results right? right we're all faced with spiritual death jesus makes us alive what's the results of that verse 10 i think tells us the result verse 10 says we are his workmanship look at your neighbor and say you're god's, you're god's workmanship now look at your other neighbor and say, you're a piece of work I'm ah, just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm kidding That one never fails to insult. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're God's workmanship. All right? You're God's workmanship. It says that you were created in Christ Jesus. All right? Here's the thing about workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. Will you say that one with me? Poema. Poema kind of comes, gets across this idea of like a masterpiece. It's like God was like this artisan that just crafted you. It's like he used the same care and intention and thought that he would to to, to writing a story or to painting a picture, to creating some kind of masterpiece. He made you on purpose. It's so cliche, but I love it. God looked at the world and thought it needed you. Psalm 139 verse 14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's what that means. This is what I always used to tell my high school students. You are weird on purpose. (laughs) Every weird little quirky strange thing about you God put it there and he is wild about it. You are called to be you and no one can rock it like you can because God made you that way. So Ephesians 2:10 says that we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus and then it says this, for good works. Church, what were we created for? For good works. I love what the text goes on to say. It goes on to say that these good works were created beforehand. Think about that. Before you were even conceived, before you were even a thought, a blip on the radar of your parents' lives, no matter if you're 80 in this place or if you're eight in this place, the truth rings true for all of us. God knew what he had in store for us. I think about the homie Jeremiah. Oh, I love Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Prophet, he was a gangster. God came to him when he was like maybe 16. First, first five verses talk about this calling that God put on Jeremiah's life. God was like, hey, yo, Jeremiah, guess what? Before you were even born in your mother's womb, before you were conceived, I called you to be a prophet to the nation. And Jeremiah's like, what's up? <laughs> 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 like, like I'm, I, you know, 16 little pimple faced kid. I'm just trying to, like, get Fortnite wins and play, play on my skateboard. I want the nerve to talk to a girl. And you want me to go tell the sinful nation of Israel that they need to repent and follow you? He's like, I think I peed myself. Like, like he's, he's like, what? But God tells him, before you were even conceived, I had called you. And then I love that, that, that passage. Go read it later. Uh, Jeremiah chapter one. God gives him this like Vince Lombardi speech. He's like, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. I'm going to put my spirit on you. And Jeremiah like rises up like William Wallace. Like, well, you know, so it's great. Anyways, it, that's extra. That's, you didn't pay for that. That's bonus. Okay. <laughs> But it's just, the, the, the imagery is just so great. God's like, I knew the calling I had upon you before you were even born. And just think about that. Even though God knew that we were gonna be born and have to deal with spiritual death, he still actually had the plan in place to know what we would do and who we would be and what we would accomplish for his name and his kingdom once we stepped into spiritual life. And our God is amazing. Let's look at the end of verse 10. This is a key aspect. Again, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand. And look at the end right here. It says that we should walk in. Remember Perry Pateo? You guys learned that word. Can you say it again? Perry Pateo, good job. How you guys are speaking. That was the voluntary aspect of verse two and remaining in spiritual death. It's now the voluntary aspect of walking out in spiritual life. Here's the reality is God is a calling upon every single one of you. Every single one of us. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what your purpose is. Maybe you're a teacher. Teach those kids to the glory of God. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Raise those kids up to the glory of God. Run your household to the glory of God. Maybe you're a baker. Bake desserts to the glory of God. And then bring them to my house. Okay? <laughs> I don't know what your calling is. I don't. But here's what I do know is Jesus came to give us peace with heaven, and he came to give us purpose on earth. And that purpose is the calling in which he's called. you. And you have to decide, Jesus, you have saved my soul. I will not waste my life. I will walk out in what you've called me to walk out. I will minister to those who you've called me to minister. I will love those that you've called me to love. I will. Reach those that you have put in front of me because you will strengthen me to do it and you have called me to do it. Pray together, church. I invite Zach up to close us in. Lord, thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your great love in which you love us. Thank you that you are love. You were compelled to show us grace and mercy by your very nature. It's who you are. You could not stand the, 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 the idea of eternity without us. God, that makes no sense. It's incomprehensible. It's even scandalous, Lord, in our minds, the, the, the depths that you degraded yourself and deprived yourself to to, to to give your life for us. Lord, I love what Romans 12 1 and 2 just talk about. It talks about the fact that it's our reasonable service to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice to you, for you laid down your, your life as a sacrifice for us. Lord, there's a great work of the Spirit that you wanna do here in this church. Lord, there's many gifts, many abilities that you've given to the members of this church. God, there's a great work that you wanna do, here, a great calling, a great purpose. Lord, I, praise, I pray for, for mighty men of God, mighty women women of God to, to rise up and to walk out in the calling in which you've called them. Like Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1, that they would walk worthy of the calling in which you called them. And Lord, I pray, even here in this place, right here, right now, God, for anyone that has made their way that does not know. Maybe they find themselves in church every week. Lord, that was certainly me when I was a teenager. I was in church listening to Bible studies, listening to sermons, singing worship songs, experiencing you vicariously through others, but I never experienced you myself. Lord, maybe there's some, someone here today that's made their way to church for the first time in years, year. Lord, they've been confronted with the truth of the gospel, confronted with the scandalous grace in which you've poured out upon us. Lord, I want to believe that here today you're calling either one of those two people back, someone who, who needs to make a, a commitment to you for the first time or someone that needs to even rededicate their life. So before we get into singing together and closing, I want to ask you, if you would, to close your eyes with me and to bow your head. And if you're not, I'll wait for you to do that, just out of respect for the person sitting next to you. Again, I think maybe there's two types of people here that I was just praying for. You need to make a commitment to Jesus for the first time. You need to step from spiritual death into spiritual life. Maybe you're here and, and uh, a recommitment is what needs to happen. You can look at your life and there was a time when you were walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, but that's not the reality of your life now. Sure, you've been brought from spiritual death into spiritual life in the past, but you need to start walking out in that spiritual life here and now, committing yourself to your God, to your King. I'm talking to you today. You're either one of those people. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed, no one's looking at you. Heaven's looking at you. And as the one who's about to pray for you and lead you, I'm, I'm looking at you. I want to know who I'm talking to. That's you here today, and that's a decision that you want to make. To throw your life into the triumph that was won on the cross of Calvary. I want to ask if you would to raise your hand. God sees your hand. Praise God. And put them right down. Anyone else here today? Say, yeah, that's me. I want to ask you if you would, if you raise your hand, I will ask you to pray a prayer after me. And I'm going to ask the, the believers in here to do battle right alongside you, to link shields with you, to stand shoulder to shoulder with you. I'm going to ask the believers in here to say this prayer right alongside those that are making this commitment today to give their life to Jesus. This accomplishes a couple things. Number one, there's just solidarity and unity. Number two, it helps you know that you're not alone. And number three, it helps you know that you're actually a part of something. I want to ask you if you would to pray this prayer after me if you're making the commitment, or if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, coming alongside those who are making a commitment, pray this after me. Say, Jesus, please forgive me today. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. Thank you for giving yourself for me. I give myself to you today. Please wash me. Please cleanse me. And make me new. Bring me from death to life. I commit myself to you. Jesus, is in your holy, in your precious hand that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, if you made that commitment today, welcome to the family of God. That is so rad. Here's what, uh, I love what scripture said. Why don't we stand together? We're going to get ready to, uh, to worship here as we close. But I love what scripture tells us in Luke uh, in chapter 16. All right. It actually says that when one sinner repents and gives their life to the Lord, that the angels in heaven are freaking out. It says that they are actually start partying in heaven. I love to think that there's like bounce houses there. There's a taco lady that showed up, right? Like the angels in heaven are freaking out because sinners just gave their life to the Lord and stepped from death to life. That's what happened here today, church. That's a good thing. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship Jesus as we close.